Hello, I'm Regina Botras and this is Backstage, where we talk with the who's who on stage, in dance, comedy and performing arts, speaking with the leading theatre makers of our times and how they came to the stage and what drives them and inspires them. My guest is Eloise Snape. She's an award-winning writer, actor, producer and voice artist. She did a Bachelor of Media and Writing at Macquarie University and got a scholarship to study in London. She's worked extensively as an actor in theatre and across consistently on screen, most recently in Colin from Accounts. She has worked with her own independent theatre company, Mophead Productions, as well as Ensemble Theatre and Griffin Theatre Company. She's currently a creative producer with Critical Stages and this production, Pony, is on at Griffin Theatre at the moment, is her debut I guess, uh, play. Uh, And it was shortlisted for many awards, including the Queensland Premier's Drama Award, Rodney Seaborn Playwrights Award, Patrick White Playwrights Award and Griffin Award. She's also worked across many radio stations, including here to SER, our home um, of stages, and is back to talk about her life in the theatre and her theatre in life, her life in the theatre. Oh, I guess I was trying to go with some reflecting, theatre reflecting life. Uh, welcome, Eloise Snape. <laughs> Thank you so much, Regina. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited to talk about this because I think, you know, it is sort of based on motherhood and also about being a woman. But before we get into Pony, which is playing and, yeah, obviously um, so great, how Well, actually, take me back to your family. Did you grow up in a creative household? Like, what was it like for you? Um, no, not really. Like, I, I, (laughs) I'm an only child. I, I grew up in the inner west. I grew up, I'm one of those people who I grew up in Balmain and now I, and now I still live there. It's like you spent (laughs) your whole life going, I'm never going to like stay here I'm gonna be really exotic and go and live all over the world anyway now I'm I'm back I'm here you cannot (laughs) escape this peninsula (laughs) and um this is actually where um when I I fell in love with my my husband he was living in Balmain so I that was sort of the moment I realized I was probably coming back but no I, I I grew up in in Sydney I always loved um the performing arts but I sort of had that attitude when I got to the end of high school of, oh gosh, this will never be like, you're not going to make a career out of, out of that. So you should go and do something else. And so I actually went and studied journalism at, in and a bachelor yeah. of media in writing at Macquarie uni. Right. And little did I know that I would come back to, to writing in this way. So it's actually kind of amazing. And, and I also studied radio as part of that degree, fell in love with it. And then now my, the voiceover work I do, to sort of ties in with everything that I studied when I was 18, thinking I was never going to, I didn't know what I wanted to do and that I was never going to make anything of it. And here I am. (laughs) Doing it all and so much more. So from there you went and did a scholarship overseas in London. Like were you studying journalism then? Like is that kind of what you were immersed in? Yeah. And how was that? Look, let's just say I definitely didn't finish all of the subjects that I had been. Um, I had been provided a very generous scholarship to go 
do. There was a point I remember um, I was over there studying at the University of Westminster and um, and I was, it was part of my, my writing uh, my writing degree at Mac Uni and um, I went over to, to the this university which is uh, to me like it was bigger than anything I'd ever kind of experienced and then I was so taken by Europe being on the doorstep that I just um, travelled <laughs> And I missed most of my exams and um, I had a wonderful time <laughs> gallivanting around Europe. I was away for about a year. I did I did complete most of the degree, but then when I came back to Sydney, I, I then, I might have read, I, I might have taken some subjects again <laughs> so that I could get my degree. They were like, you had a really good time in London. I did, yeah. I did. For, and from Balmain, you did get to go and see the world before returning. <laughs> I did, I did, and I still wish to to go to go back. I, uh, it's funny, mm. London is the, one of those places. I'm not sure if you have have ever um, spent much time there or lived there, but you know, it really, oh, it it holds a, a very special place in my heart, and I think it's because of the time of my life that I went, and so I'm just desperate to to go back, and you know, we've got a family now, but do it do it again with a family. Yeah. And there is something about traveling overseas. There's, it's more than just the study. There's something else that you are learning along the way. But obviously, you're returning, like writing now. You've so so you went off and you did radio and journalism and writing and traveling, and then you came back and you went. Actually, I will do acting. Is that what happened? Yeah, I I met a lot of um, creative types at in my year at. Macquarie and we Mm. all kind of congregated amongst the drama society which was called Dramac and um, Mm. actually a lot of the friends that I made at that time are all working in the industry now some quite big names and it's um, amazing to me that I think that little cohort we all found each other and you know when you're doing um, university drama it's all obviously by choice and it's the love of it no one's making you you do it and so I found myself really spending a lot of time doing that um and it was then that I thought well I I graduated went off and and actually worked um in radio and worked for 2SER and um had a had a wonderful time and actually really fell in love with radio as well and then I thought at 25 I thought oh you've been thinking about auditioning for drama school for a long time. Um, maybe you should, you should do it. And that's where I, um, I went to the actor center and I, I, um, actually my, my best friend, Harriet Dyer, who is who made Colin from accounts, um, the TV show you mentioned before. Yeah. Her and I studied together and we were in the same year and we actually met in the final audition round and, um, yeah. And so funny, I look at like kind of where she's gone now and, and what I've done now and, was funny because we used to always joke about that we were going to the acting school that um, if you didn't get into the other ones, you went there. <laughs> well, that's me as well. I, I did all the same similar things and I ended up at the Actors Centre. <laughs> yeah, and but it truly is was incredible. Like the, oh, the best teachers, mm. the, the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm actually working is because of the people I met at that school and I wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere else. So from there to now, like what's happened in between? How did you kind of, you know, find yourself in the world outside of, of studying? It's funny. I had a really hard time and I'm sure a lot of people do when they graduate. You have mm. all your hopes and dreams like... <laughs> sort of you put them all in that 
showcase at the end of your three years of of study and um it was just like silence and I and I think from that moment I I was I I went oh okay well you can sit here or you can um try and do something and Mm -hmm. um and that was from there that I um I got together with my my beautiful friend Stephen Moltari who now lives in Berlin but um he and I uh found this play 4,000 Miles by Amy Herzog Mm -hmm. which is this beautiful play that we wanted to to do we thought maybe we could perform it was so I think about how naive we were we're like maybe we could perform in it maybe we could put it on somewhere and we were lucky enough that beautiful Anthony Scoose who had just taught me at the Actor Centre wanted to direct it and wanted to work with both of us Mm. and so we went ahead and and produced it and put it on at ATYP under the wharf and it just happened to do really well and um I think, I mean, the combination of his direction and I think um, he just come off the back of a really successful show, Punk Rock, and they had a lot of sort of great vibes around it. And so from there, I think it was where I learnt to sort of produce, sort of. I mean, right. indie theatre producing is the hardest thing to do. So I think once you've done that, then you can sort of produce anything because <laughs> <laughs> you've got no money. Really have to love it. <laughs> you have to love it and and you have to sort of have some level of ambition, I guess. And that was where we formed Mop, Moped and that was sort of where it all started, I think, for me, was, was making work as opposed to, you know, just getting cast in things. I sort of really had to make make my work in order to be seen or but also to sort of become a better actor and a better um, crea- creative. And talking about having to love it to continue, I mean, I... I I think anyone in the arts was really challenged during COVID um, to, you know, hold on to their love. And you, this is when you actually wrote this, I understand, um, Pony. So let's talk about the beginnings of that idea. Yeah, it's, it's, I was thinking the other day that I never thought that the thing that I have probably been most proud of to date in, in my career is something that came out of, 2020 and this period of time and and having a baby so I I, it's amazing I think what happens to to people when they become parents or when women become mothers I think there's like I don't know there's sort of a superpower that comes with it and I and I I'm not saying that I'm that powerful or or you know super (laughs) but um it's more (laughs) it's more the the sort of um I don't know. You think, oh, okay, I can if I can do that. Like if I can kind of create a human and birth them and keep them alive, then oh, maybe I can, I can surely write a play. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in the kind of madness of those lockdowns and um, exhaustion, and I think I had no filter because you were pregnant at the time. Yeah, I found out I was yeah. pregnant in March twenty twenty. Yeah, which was yeah when everything sort of just went bonkers and my my incredible friend Frida Lee who I have to thank for uh, all of this said to me I think I was I was 37 weeks pregnant she sat me down and she's a a creative as well and and she's a a mother and she said you will um this was before the pandemic even was a thing she said when you have this baby I'm just warning you you're going to go a little mental and you're probably going to really like start to question your identity and who you who you are and like where's your creative self in all of this and so 
you should just write some things down. And I was like, well, I, do, I just, I don't, I, what am I going to write? Like, I don't have a brain, let alone, I don't, I don't have any motivation right now. I don't have anything to write about. I, I bet you do, I bet you do. So the first thing I wrote down was, I think it was something along the lines of, you know, sex during pregnancy is a weird thing. <laughs> that was kind of like the first, the first thing that I, that I sort of, I was like, that's, but no one cares about that. She's like, yeah, that's, that's funny. It is. And I have to ask, is that the first line in the play? <laughs> no. No, it was originally going to be called, actually, when then the, the pandemic hit and I, I had my, my beautiful daughter, Winnie, and then um, I think about two months later after she was born, I sort of came back to it because I was feeling all those things that, that Frida had said I would. And I came yeah. back to it. And then it became sex while pregnant during a pandemic is weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, then, and then we sort of, the idea started to go from there. And actually, it was then when I brought on um, Anthea Williams, who wanted to, to develop the idea with me as the dramaturg. Mm-hmm. And then eventually she's gone on to direct the production that we yeah. then found what the actual story is and, and what it is now, which is actually very different to, um, I feel... What I'm trying to say with the play now is actually talk about the impossibility of becoming a mother and yet we still do it. Um, and, 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 yeah, that's kind of – it's quite different to where the idea started. So what is it? So it's a one-woman, one voice? And, yeah, tell, take us into the world. So it's a one-woman show. Um, however, um, Brielle-Anne Clark, who's just – Oh my gosh, incredible. I mean, as a first time writer to have such an incredible team behind it is just been, I, I pinch myself every day because I think I'm so lucky. Um, but she plays about 30 different characters. So Hazel is the, is the main voice um, and the story is hers. Um, but she, we, we see um, various people, characters in her life. So her, her grandmother, her mother, her best friend, um, and then, then there's other various characters like um, a mid, her midwife, um, her, um, her, her cousin, her auntie. So, so it's her story uh, and we meet her as she is on, yeah, the precipice of becoming a mother but um, in her late 30s and her body clock is, is working against her and she isn't entirely sure she's ready and, and is terrified of, of that change in her life. Um, and yeah, and, and that the sort of pressures that we put on ourselves, I think, in order to try and make, make it a possibility to, to, Mm. to function and be in the world as a, as a, 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 a mother and a career and a person who wants to have a career and a, and, and lives any kind of life that's, that's fun, you know? (laughs) Um, and I think these pressures are sort of sitting underneath Mm. the story. Yeah. And uh as I said I think like I sense when I was reading about it that it is it's also about being a woman it's about all of these like having to cope with everything that thrown at you how are you telling the story like how are you making all of these characters in this work we sort of so to be honest when I wrote it I don't think I was thinking about structure because I'd never written a play before 
So, sorry, I didn't know what I was doing. And what I wrote was what I think is sort of more of what someone told me afterwards. It was actually um, one of the wonderful judges on the, the panel for the Queensland Premier's Drama Award mm. um, said, you've written a poly mono drama. And I was like, wow. oh, have I? <laughs> I didn't know that's what I'd done. And um, it's essentially to me like it's... It feels like an inner monologue. Um, yeah. yeah. That's just, you know, been spewed out onto a page. And Anthea, having a dramaturgical brain, came in yeah. and was really good at helping me find the structure. Yeah. And that actually the main, the structure that we play with is the idea is that in the present tense, we start in the present tense and we return at the end, but we move back in time. Oh. And the only way we, we find ourselves catching up with the present tense is after she's gone through a sort of deep realisation uh, that she's had to, or something, I don't want to, no spoilers, but she's had to go yeah. through something um, particularly, I guess, traumatic, but also therapeutic in order for her to be able to move forward in mm. the present tense mm. and, and, and essentially have the baby. <laughs> yeah, okay, which is also very transformative (laughs) um what did you find like what did you want to say about being a mother or being a woman all of these things through this play um that so personally the thing that I found really confronting was in those early stages of having a newborn baby was how I sort of tried to still um present in a particular manner to people and the world and and I wasn't I wasn't um completely honest about how hard it was Mm. (laughs) and I and I was so I was so surprised because I thought and I'd you know spoken to many people while I was pregnant I was like oh you know if things are difficult or if things are hard then I will obviously reach out and I'll talk because people tell you, you know, it's, but you, you just don't realise it until it, until you actually then are in those kind of that the whirlwind of exhaustion and sleepless nights. And I really, like I had, a, I had postnatal depression and postnatal anxiety that came on quite quickly. It also left quite quickly, which was good. It was a concoction of, of the lack of sleep and the hormones. Um, and I I just still ha- presented to everybody as if I was completely fine. I was, I was like, oh yeah, I'm fine to go. I think after a week, I said yes to some jobs. Um, a week <laughs> after, <laughs> no. And I was like, and it was really when I had to stop and say to myself, why, like, why are you, why are you afraid of of failure, or why are you afraid that you might admit that this is hard? Like, why are you afraid to tell people that you're struggling? And I think it it's this idea that we put pressure on, I think, women to be sort of perfect mothers or, per, or, or, or that, you know, or, or that it's something um, natural that we're all born with this, like, instinct to be like mm. earth mothers. And it's like, yeah. well, actually, you know, I think I am a wonderful mother, but like it's, it's learning, like I'm learning how to do that mm. as opposed to it being like something that's just, we're expected to just do it. Yeah. And I think that's probably what I'm trying to say in the play is that, you know, 
Hazel isn't necessarily someone that we would look at and go like, oh, yeah, you're, you're a mother type. And then it's also like, why do we create these types? Like, what is a mother type? What even is that? Mm. So I don't know. I hope yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. And I think also like, um, I don't know, I couldn't help but think, you know, you said sort of you, you felt like you weren't honest, but I think it's more that it's, I think it's quite dishonesty. It's like maybe it's partly the picture that is painted. Like you say, this is the woman motherly type. And, and if you don't fit into that, you're kind of trying to be that, but it's not like, I, th- I think it's that it's not dishonesty. It's just kind of trying to cope and, and you don't realize until you have that sort of self-awareness and you go, Oh, hang on. I'm just trying to do that. And I'm not coping. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm. Do you remember the moment where you realized, Oh, I'm not coping or, or that? Yeah, I do. It was, it was so obvious. Cause my, I actually called my mum up and I'm so lucky that she lives two streets away. And thank God during that time as well, like during COVID, and I said, and I, I remember Winnie was about seven weeks old and it was right when she was like, you know, it was sort of when that time of purple crying sometimes happens, but she wasn't do she wasn't doing that. It wasn't that extreme, but it was just, it was a very, she was very, um, I think she was probably going through a growth spurt. It was just like nonstop, couldn't comfort. And I remember I called my mom and I just said, oh, I, I think, I think maybe I'm, I can't do this. <laughs> And she came over and I just handed, I just handed Winnie to her and she was amazing. And mum looked at me and she said, okay, do you know what we're going to do? You're going to call up the doctor. You're going to call up the GP. You're going to go up and you're just going to chat to them about maybe some things that you could do to like help you get through this next stage. And it, and it was like, and I just sort of looked at her and I thought, oh, what do you, what do you mean help? (laughs) But I'm supposed to like. Aren't I supposed to do it all and achieve it all? And, yeah, and things completely changed from there. Like I had a proper diagnosis as to what I was going through. My, like, amazing husband, Sam, like, took all the feed, the night feeds for the next two weeks because my, my daughter was bottle fed from that point on because I struggled with breastfeeding, which was also why, the like, the nights were so bad. Um, and I slept. I remember I got, like, and this is so rare for a, a – I know that many women don't – necessarily get this privilege of like an eight hours sleep but I I remember being prescribed melatonin and I was like what is this like beautiful thing that I found in my life (laughs) and then we started doing shifts at night and it was the only way I could get through I think I was really not well so but you know it's it's such a different experience for women for you know some some I don't know how get through those nights for for years I'm I, yeah, I think like you said, like the getting diagnosed is is a big thing. Like I remember, I have a couple of children, and when when the oldest one, the first one was young, I was like five weeks, and I think I had an emergency cesarean, so I didn't have to do much carrying. And we were at sadly Newtown Festival was closing, but we were at a Newtown Festival, and um, we were going back to the car with the pram and the bub, you know, in the car and because my partner did all the pushing and he had to go to the toilet and it was the first time I stood with the pram and I was like, this could be anyone's pram. It's not necessarily my pram. (laughs) I was like, why am I imagining what I look like to other people with a child? Like this sort of, and maybe, you know, that was just sort of a moment that really stuck out to me, this sort of awareness of the way I perceived motherhood to be 
or how I looked like as a mother. Yes. You know? Constantly looking at you. I feel like I looked at, looked at myself a lot and I, and I don't, mm. and I think it was because maybe, maybe it's, a tr- maybe it's, you're trying to understand who, who you are again. Cause you feel like you've disconnected from who you are. Not and and not literally just physically like like you, I know what I looked like in the first six weeks. <laughs> I've looked back at photos and it's not pleasant. But yeah, oh, well you're brave. You did it twice. <laughs> yes, I, yes. I suppose brave is one thing <laughs> you could call it. It could be other things too. But I think also like that diagnosis and that kind of reaching out and getting help. If you didn't have your mum saying go up and get help, that's I think a lot of. Women just live with it, thinking like, "Oh, I, sh- I just need to do this. Have to." This and they're superheroes. Mm. So, how are you taking all of these? Like, um, you worked a lot with a- Anthea, and then it's now on the stage. Um, staging it in there is—is is there a birth that happens on the stage? I haven't seen it. So, is that giving away something? <laughs> <laughs> Look, no spoilers, but um, uh, possibly. Um, and I will say no more, but, but it is, it is, um, it's been like, it's been overwhelming. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, um, I felt most vulnerable in the rehearsal. There there was sort of a moment in the rehearsal room where I watched a run of it for the first time, which is obviously Mm -hmm. still very different to them what it becomes when it, um, hits the, Mm -hmm. the stage and it's on in the theater. But, um, and that was a moment where I, I went, whoa, okay, yeah, like this is like really um, y- your story and potentially now, you know, people are going to come and watch this and they're going to not like it possibly or judge it. And so that was a moment where I came to terms with going like, okay, you've got to, you know, you've got to be just super proud of the story you're telling and and yeah. and not kind of let that stuff get to you. And I, and, and that was actually really good moving forward because... I really have enjoyed the process. Like I've really enjoyed um, watching audiences' responses to it as opposed to sitting there watching it going like, you know, what I've actually gone, oh, this is amazing. Like people are laughing and people are crying and it's felt really positive. Yeah. And, and, and Anthea having her on it from the beginning meant that I, you know, I really didn't have to be in the rehearsal room that much because she knows what the story is. And, um, mm-hmm. and Brie Allen, you know, Brie is a friend as well. So I just know, I know her sense of comedy and, and, and I know that she understood the story, the story I'm telling. Mm-hmm. So, and then the entire design team, just incredible. Like really, I feel yeah. like I've just been, this amazing bunch of women all ca- came together to make this piece. And honestly, I, I, I watch it and I go, oh, I didn't write that. Like that's, <laughs> that is a, in a good way. I'm like that is um that's much better than what I wrote. So yeah. as a first time writer, that's a really you know amazing thing because I know it doesn't always go like that for mm. for for writers and, and new work, and that and particularly being my first play, you are sort of extra vulnerable. So yeah, I couldn't be happier really with how like they've just done the most amazing job with it. I'm so proud of it. Yeah, yeah. And so you should be, so you're getting, how was it the opening? Did people come up and like, you know, did anyone hate it? <laughs> um, well, if they, if they did, they didn't tell me. <laughs> no, how was it? No, it was really like, yeah, amazing. Griffin do two openings. And so yeah. 
when I got by to mm. by Friday, I was a shell of myself because it's just the it's the you know the adrenaline of sitting there, and when you're not performing, when you're sitting yeah. there just watching, you don't actually have anything to like. Um, like when you're an actor, at least you put the adrenaline out on the stage into the performance. Mm. But as a writer, you just yeah. sitting there. All the adrenaline went into people's hands next to yeah. me. And how is that? Like, did you ever think, oh, oh, oh I wish I could do this because it's probably so much a part of you? Yeah. I mean, originally when I was writing it, I probably imagined myself doing it. But mm. when it mm. became, I think, bigger than I had ever imagined and, and it sort of then was suddenly in the hands of a maiden stage Griffin season, um, oh, my gosh, I am so grateful that oh, I think my daughter and husband are about to arrive home, which is good to have. appropriate, yes. <laughs> um, but I, I like honestly I'm so happy I'm not performing in it because I think that would have been like the pressure would have been way too much for me. Like mm. like um and the story is so much greater now because it's in Bree's voice and she brings mm. more to it. You know, it feels th- you know, three dimensional as opposed to like it's got two. It's got many people's brains in it, as opposed to just yeah. me. Well, terrific, Eloise Snape. Thank you so much for taking us into your world of being a mom. And it just sounds fantastic. And it sounds like there's so much that women don't talk about enough and need to. Yeah, I highly recommend. I highly recommend talking about it, and I highly recommend writing a comedy about it. <laughs> Eloise Snape, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Well, that was Eloise Snape and her play Pony is playing at the Griffin Theatre at the moment until the 17th of June. And it's its debut galloping in as a runner-up for four awards. That's four awards. So great. Uh, That's Pony at the Griffin Theatre. 